Uh, well, I wanted to, uh, given that we're going to talk about marriage, I wanted to share with you some pictures from my own life of uh, my lovely bride and I. Uh, so this is Hannah and me. Uh, I call this the uh, big sister, little brother stage uh, of our relationship. Uh, this, was, uh, this was taken at a staff Christmas party. So Hannah's mom was, uh, uh, still is, the preschool minister at the church we grew up in, and my dad was the education minister. And, and we were at, a, at the pastor's house uh, for Christmas. And I remember in, when we took this picture, I remember thinking, why is everybody looking at us so weird? Uh, and probably the same reason you all laughed, right? Um, and then uh, the next picture... Uh, so that's it. That's it. Uh, at my house in our little game room, I'm getting a little bit. I got the gel to hair, which is great. And, you know, the good thing about these pictures is Hannah's in them, so they're not miserable to look at, right? Um, uh, braces. Um, Hannah still looks the same. All right. And then the the next picture. Uh, this is my. I finally grew a foot. Uh, photo. Um, uh, super tan. Shout out to marching band for that one. Um, and uh, Hannah is still uh, the beautiful woman that she is. Uh, and then the next picture, um, this is us on our wedding day, uh, and uh, this room is also at the church that we grew up in, and it's where we consequentially had our first kiss. Um, well, that's not our first kiss, though. Um, this, was, <laughs> this was a recreation of the moment. Um, I, I won't share with you how old we were, but it was set up via AOL Instant Messenger. So um, those, of you, those of you that know that. So um, I, I, think that's, I think that's all of them. Uh, you know, the uh, Mary, oh, wait, yeah, there's that one. So that's us now. That's at the, uh, uh, the Christmas photo. And Jude had already gotten some candy, so he's got a blue mouth. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was this past Christmas. Um, you know, if you had, if you had told me, uh, my mom would not have been the least surprised if you had told her in that first picture that we were going to get married, and she would have been very delighted. And I don't think I would have been very surprised, but, you know, obviously I never would have anticipated uh, having three boys and, and living in Crawford, Texas, and being a pastor. And, uh, man, there are so many great memories that, that already, um, we're coming up on, on 12 years this summer, and there are so many great memories that go with our marriage, right? Going to Oklahoma together and, um, you know, my, my getting a job. I have a video of when, when, when Hannah uh, got home from uh, kind of learning that she had gotten her job, and this was sort of our first, uh, first time in the, the full-time, not being in college, you know, adult work world, so it was an exciting time for us as uh, young 20-somethings, and, um, and then going to seminary together and taking that adventure and being able to be at, uh, be at Duke and... Uh, you know, obviously learning that, uh, that we were going to have a child and when Hannah got pregnant with Jude and the excitement of all that and so many, so many great memories. Uh, but there are also hard memories uh, that come with marriage. Um, I mean, I remember when we lived in Oklahoma and Hannah came in and uh, she sat down and she said, my dad's cancer is back. And she just wept right there. Um, that was a hard time. And then when we, uh, when we went to Duke and, and had to leave family and uh, be far from them and uh, Duke was, a, was kind of a tough time for me. Hannah had great coworkers at the job that she had, uh, but the, the kind of ideological differences with uh, Duke and Duke Divinity School and kind of where I stood uh, made it sort of a, a difficult time psychologically for me. And there were a few times that I, uh, I cried on her shoulder during that time. Um, and then getting pregnant with you took longer than, than we would have liked. It wasn't that, that long, ultimately, and, and other couples have much longer journeys than that. Um, and then, man, at the end of Duke, I remember uh, uh, there was a job basically in our hands. 
uh, and it was in Virginia, and uh, there, were, there were some things, though, that had happened in the interview process that both Hannah and I had kind of discerned, this feels weird, and uh, we're not really sure that we should take the job, but in my mind, it was like, I need a job, you know, uh, and so I, I was nervous about it, but I was like, maybe we should take it, and um, and, but then Hannah just kind of said, you know, I, I just, we should pay attention to like the hesitancy. Uh, so we uh, uh, let go of, of this job that was in our hands. Right. And I found out that the guy who ended up taking the job left within a year of being there. So, um, the, the Lord was helpful in that regard. Um, and man, I remember, uh, we've walked through a miscarriage, um, and just walking through that difficulty with Hannah and sitting in the parking lot and just not knowing how to comfort my wife in that time, and just not knowing what to do. And marriage is, uh, that, that's what marriage brings, right? It brings these, these great, joyful moments, and then there are also uh, deeply difficult moments uh, with a lot of hardship. And many of you have walked through great, joyful moments, and many of you have walked through deep, difficult moments. And so as we, as we walk through this series, as we begin thinking about marriage, um, and, and we're going to walk through a number of scriptures today, we'll have kind of three focus scriptures, but we're going to be a little bit all over the place as a sort of introductory discussion uh, about marriage and what scripture has to say about marriage. Uh, but I also uh, just want to recognize that, that 12 years, uh, 11 and a half, is not, uh, according to some of you, is not a very long marriage, right? According to a lot of people who have been married for much longer. And so I'm not just going to rely on my experiences. We're going to lean real heavily on Scripture, and we're going to lean heavily. Uh, uh, we're going to lean also on a book called uh, The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by uh, John Gottman. It's, uh, there are a lot of great uh, marriage books out there, a lot of great curriculum on marriage. Um, if you're looking for video studies, we have, uh, the church has a subscription to Right Now Media, and so if you go to our sermons page and scroll all the way to the bottom, there's a, there's a big link that you can click, and you can uh, join Right Now Media, and they have lots of video series on marriage as well, and you could supplement uh, what we're going to talk about here. But ultimately, we're going to think about what Scripture has to say uh, about marriage and how it uh, points us to what marriage is meant to be. And today we're going to talk about the why of marriage. Uh, why is marriage important? Why should we think about it? Why should people get married? Uh, why does it matter that people uh, put a ring on their finger or sign a certificate or say vows to each other? Uh, why, especially in our day and age, uh, can't people just be with who they want to be with for a little while? And if they change their mind, be with somebody else down the road, right? And we're going to think about those questions with Scripture today. And we're going to start with Genesis chapter 2. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be there in Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 18. This is the, uh, the very beginning of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Man, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of, of beautiful stuff in this passage. The, the beauty of God's creation. Right? The fact that the Lord says it's not good for the man to be alone. That from the very beginning, God recognizes that man is not meant to be a solitary creature. Uh, that man is meant to be in community with others. Uh, that man is meant to, uh, to join himself with others. And so Adam goes and he's, he's naming all these creatures, but no suitable helper was found. I like to think about what it might have been like to speed date with a llama, right? Uh, like, uh, sorry, I don't think this is going to work out. Uh, you move on and there's an ostrich, right? And Adam's just like, God, none of these, none of these are going to work out for me. Uh, and so then uh, God has Adam fall asleep, and, and he pulls a rib uh, out of Adam's flesh and creates the woman. And whether we think this is literally what happened or, or whether it's some type of metaphor for the way that God worked, I think what we need to see is that God gave man a helper. God gave man a partner to be with him throughout life. And this is, is a key aspect of marriage. Someone who, who sticks with you, who is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And when you, when you make those wedding vows, you say, this post person is going to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with them and be united with them. And that's what Adam declares here, that, that this woman is going to be his helper. That she's going to walk with him through whatever life may bring. And sometimes when we see that word helper, we might, we might think of secondary, someone, uh, someone that's lesser, uh, someone that just, just assists. Uh, but uh, Deuteronomy 33.29 uses the word helper also. It says, blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper in your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. So between the word shield and sword is helper. And I think that should be important to us as we think about what it means for a woman to be a helper to her husband. It's not someone that's, that's secondary, not someone that's lower than, but plays a vital role. This is, this is a team effort. Uh, John Gottman in his book says, at the heart of the seven principles approach is the simple truth that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. And man, in Genesis 2, we get this picture of Adam recognizing that this woman is filling a void that nothing else could, that, that God has given him a, a profound partner throughout life. And as we, as we think about a wife's role, I can't help but think of Proverbs 31 as well. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. 
She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And I don't think that we should go swiftly by those passages, right? When we think about marriage, and traditionally Christians have thought about, and I think it's right, and I'll affirm what Scripture says in thinking about the male as the leader and the woman as the helper. But when we think of that verbiage, helper, we also ought to think of Proverbs 31, right? A woman who is strong, who works with her hands, who gets things done. And right in the middle, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And the implication there is that, that this woman's strength gives this man respect, right? This woman's ability to get things done is something that offers her husband respect. And I think we need to hold on to that. And we can see these two locking arms together, right? As the man says to her, in my Bible, it has quotation marks. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. The man's appreciation and love for his wife. The bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we're best friends. Let's do this together. Hand in hand, arm in arm, whatever comes at us. Uh, there was a, a time when I was, uh, you know, Hannah and I were, I don't know if we were looking at banking stuff or uh, getting ready to travel or something. And I went to log into whatever the, the login was, and I forgot my password like happens every other day for something, right? Um, and I got the security questions, and one of the security questions was, what is the name of your best friend? And so like a suspenseful music started to play in my mind as Hannah's sitting right here next to me. I'm like, oh man, this could go really poorly. <laughs> and so I type in, Hannah, it's not her. <laughs> And so she sort of looks at me like, well, who's your best friend, Ben? Um, and it, she was my, the, best, the best man in our wedding. Um, uh, but, you know, that moment for me was just a, a powerful moment in thinking about, you know, is my wife my best friend? Uh, do I share everything with her? Am I united with her in walking through life? Uh, do, do I encourage her in the endeavors that she takes on? Because I know I feel encouraged by her and the things that I take on. I know that she's with me, she's beside me, and I would not hesitate to say she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I love that woman. Right? And there are days that I don't tell her nearly enough. I, I don't show her enough. Uh, 
but she certainly epitomizes a Proverbs 31 woman. And this is, uh, this is sort of the, the female picture. This is what, what women are called to and being helpers. Uh, but men are also called to things. Men are also called to play a particular role. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to come back to this text later in the series. Uh, but because it's such an important text, I wanted to uh, share it with you today. So it'll be Ephesians chapter 5. We'll, we'll start in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me read that again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to yourself, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave him up, himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. With that, uh, that note in verse 32 from Paul talking about how he's talking about Christ in the church. We're, we're kind of moving more toward the why of marriage. Right? It's important to be locked hand in hand. It's, it's important to work together. It's important to, to submit to one another, for wives to submit to their husbands, for husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church, uh, which he died for her. Uh, something to remember, but as Paul points to uh, this idea of Christ in the church, we're moving closer and closer to the why, what it is that marriage is meant to be. Okay. This uh, word submit is, is often sort of a, um, it, can, it can lead to some fireworks in theology and church world and, and thinking about what it means to be a husband, to be a wife, and now, the word submission uh, brings to mind a lot of different things for a lot of people. And, and I think the, the thing that I want to import, uh, point out most importantly is that Paul doesn't give very clear instructions on what it means to submit. He doesn't give a list of things. Uh, woman, you ought to do this, 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 and this, right? And, and sometimes I think as Christians that, that we know the list that Paul would have given and sometimes we even think that we can pull from other scriptures that don't speak explicitly to marriage, and we can tell other people what that submission looks like. But man, when you look at Proverbs 31 and you compare it to this passage, I would say it's difficult to find exactly what that submission means. And so then maybe you find yourself asking, well, what am I supposed to do, pastor, right? You're supposed to tell me what to do. First of all, I'm not supposed to tell you what to do. The, let the Lord tell you what to do, right? Let the Holy Spirit instruct you. If you're a wife, ask him, what does it mean to submit to my husband? What does that mean for me? 
And husbands, what does verse 21 mean? Submit to one another, right? And what does it mean to love your wife as Christ loves the church? And I pointed to, and I will again, that Christ died for the church. And that's something that we ought to be willing to do as husbands. How do we lead? How do we submit? And man, I think about, I'm just trying to think of examples. And uh, honestly, I just think of other relationships in my life, right? Where I, I feel like I am called to lead. And I think about uh, Branton and I work together to, to lead worship on Sunday mornings. But I don't come in here, I certainly don't tell him how to play guitar. That'd go horribly, right? I don't tell him what, uh, what songs we should sing. I mean, I'll send a, an email about what we're going to talk about this week. But most weeks I come in here and I know what we're going to sing after I look at the computer and he's put the lyrics in. Because I trust Branton to do that well. And I've entrusted that to him, and he does do it well. He leads us well in, in worshiping the Lord. At the same time, I'm called to, uh, to direct us, to, to send that email in early in the week, to think about what we're going to talk about as a church, how we're going to draw closer to the Lord this week. And so we work together in tandem in that way. You, as a married couple, a husband and a wife, right? one man and one woman, are called to work together, uh, to be one flesh, just as the Lord talks about in Genesis chapter 2. And I would say in our present world that it looks to me like the biggest struggle is for men to know how to lead their wives, for men to know how to lead their families. And the biggest evidence for me uh, of this is that if you get on your phone right now and get on the internet, you type in motherhood.gov, Nothing's going to come up. But if you know, if you type in fatherhood.gov, you're going to get a website because the government sees that there's a gap there. And I think that fatherhood gap is also a husband gap a lot of times. And I think there are a lot of great husbands in the room today, a lot of husbands who, who, who know what they're called to do, who do lead their wives, who do lead their families well. And again, I'm not going to prescribe a particular list of things. But the one thing that I will prescribe is following the Lord. You must have a relationship with God. You must pursue a relationship with him. You must read scripture. You must spend time in prayer so that you are spiritually guided in leading your family. And that is the one thing that I will absolutely always prescribe to every man. Uh, Peter uh, mentions some of the same things that Paul does in 1 Peter chapter 3. You can stay in the Ephesians 5 text, but 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, wow, look at that. Peter says, if you submit to your husband and he's not a believer, there's a chance that you could win him over without words to following the Lord. And then in verse 7, Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter says, if, if you don't love your wife, there's a chance that the Lord won't hear your prayers. 
And I think that's a pretty serious thing. So both Paul and Peter speak specifically about what it means to, to be a husband, to be a wife. And when Peter calls the, the wife the, uh, the weaker partner, I, I think that he's speaking most specifically of just physical differences, right? We recognize that uh, not in every case, but in the majority of instances, the average male is going to be physically stronger, uh, larger than the average female. And so when it comes to uh, maybe a physical altercation or something like that, the, the male is more naturally equipped on average uh, to participate in that. And we acknowledge this as a country up until January of 2013, there's a thing called the combat exclusion policy. And I'm not here to talk about the politics of that policy, but it basically prohibited women from, from participating in particular aspects of the armed forces, right? And that, that's just an acknowledgement that there's a difference between men and women in our physical makeup. There's also a difference in our psychological makeup, right? We, God created us differently. And so when Peter talks about the weaker partner, that's the thing that he's talking about. It's that God created us differently in those ways. Even professional sports, we have the, the NBA and then the WNBA. We have the PGA Tour. We have the LPGA Tour. Because we recognize there's a difference, right? That there's a physical difference in the makeup of men and women. The problem comes when that physical difference starts to dictate the direction of the relationship. Dominance over a wife is not leadership of a wife. Dominance of a wife is not leadership of a wife. The Lord Jesus Christ put his hands on a cross and had nails driven into them. And that is how the Lord Jesus Christ loved his church. And we men are called to love our wives in that exact same way. You may be physically bigger, but that should never, absolutely never, dictate the way that you manage a relationship. The, the leadership of Jesus, again, looked like a cross, looked like Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And before all of that, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, be like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Practice humility, even though he was equal with God. He washed the feet of the disciples before his crucifixion. In John chapter 13, he says, you, you've called me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so. And then in John chapter 15, he says, I call you friends. Jesus recognizes the role he has with the disciples. He recognizes the leadership he has over the disciples, but he does not dominate the disciples. He, he demonstrates love to them. He humbles himself before them. But he also doesn't shy away from, from giving them instruction to telling them about who God is and leading them explicitly in that way. So the Lord 
Jesus Christ did not dominate the disciples, but he did lead the disciples. But we still find ourselves asking, what, what ultimately is marriage for? As Paul said in Ephesians 5.32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And we could, uh, we could look at all the marriages in Scripture, and to be frank, there's not a lot of good ones, right? The Adam and Eve, things go awry. Eve uh, eats the fruit, and we could ask, where was Adam? You go back to that Genesis 2 passage, Adam is given the instruction about what to eat and not eat before Eve is there. And so Adam is supposed to pass that instruction along. And maybe he passes it along, along incorrectly. Maybe Eve hears incorrectly. We don't really know. But by the time Eve gets tempted, she returns to the serpent with an incorrect interpretation of the instruction that they were given. And Adam's not there, absent husband, or maybe just a silent husband. And then Eve comes to him, and he can't even then say, no, we're not supposed to do this. And then you look at, you know, you move to Abraham and Sarah, and they're going to have a child. And Sarah says, this isn't working out. Here, marry my servant. At that point, Abraham doesn't say, no, 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 let's trust the Lord. Abraham just says, all right, let's do it. That didn't work out either. And then, you know, David had a number of wives, ended up killing a guy so he could have another. Solomon, dude's got a thousand women. And that's not an exaggeration. You can go look it up in scripture. And that did not go well for him either. Countless marriages in scripture, they don't go well. And I think it's ultimately because marriage is not solely meant for a man and a woman to be together. That is a great gift of God. Uh, To have a partner, to be able to to walk through life together, to have a shoulder that you can cry on, to be a shoulder that can be cried on, uh, to have that partnership. Uh, But the greatest way that that partnership works is if you know what marriage is really for. But what are we really aiming for? Why am I supposed to be married? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. As a husband, what am I meant to lead toward? As a wife, what are you meant to help toward? Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. This, friends, is the point of marriage. Marriage is a union between one man 
and one woman that points toward our union with God. Marriage is a union between one man and one woman that points to our union with God. The day when we will be united as a church, his bride, the bride of Christ, and we will be able to be with him forever. To worship him, to love him, to know more about him. Husband, lead your wife to this. Wife, be a helper for your husband to this. In the happiness of marriage, in in the great moments that you want to take videos and pictures of and capture and and put in a bottle and bring back out later, may those moments point you to this moment. And in the moments that you want to get rid of, that you want to toss away, that you want to forget forever, know that one day even those moments will have a purpose in this moment, the opportunity to worship the Lord God Almighty without sin, unadulterated by the fallen nature of our world. All things made whole and brought back together. That is the point of marriage. And to point people toward this moment. And That's ultimately the point of all of our lives, every moment. If you're here today and you're you're single, maybe maybe you're not yet married. Maybe God doesn't have marriage in the cards for you. Maybe you've been married, you're a widow or a widower. And even you are meant to point to this moment. You don't have to be married to point to the marriage. But if you are married, I pray that you would wake up every morning and pray, God, how Can I point my husband? How can I point my wife to the Lord God Almighty and to eternal things? And when we enjoy small, simple moments, how can that point us to the Lord? When we walk through difficulty and we're trying to sort out arguments, something that we're going to talk about down the road, how can we point each other to the Lord? Because that is the point of marriage but more than the happiness of a couple walking hand in hand. There's a deep wholeness to pointing someone to their relationship with the Lord. And that's what we are called to do. To point people to a never-ending joy. Any elation that you feel in this life, any, any excitement, it's just a taste of what is to come. When we can be reunited with our Lord God, and experience even more than that, but for even longer time frames than we have it now. And we're called to look toward that moment. Marriage offers just little glimpses, pointers toward that moment. Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride... Say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And that's what the Lord desires of us. To have a deep, fulfilling relationship with him.
Tally and Carrie Barnes celebrated 64 years of marriage this week. Pretty impressive. And Tally happened to come by the office and, and he told me. I didn't tell him I was going to say that in the sermon, so hopefully he's not upset. But, man, you think about that and you just think about, wow, so amazing, 64 years. And some of you know a little bit of Tally and Carrie's story and, and things that they've walked through and um, you know, we get to we get to visit them and uh, on Wednesday nights and deliver a meal, just kind of catch up, see how things are going, and that's always a, a highlight of my Wednesday, being able to catch up with them. And I know many of you have known them for a lot longer. And um, the fact that we celebrate long marriages like that, long relationships, demonstrates that there's something in us that desires longevity, and deep commitment, and a loving relationship. And you can have that with God, the one who created you, the one who loves you, and the one who wants only the best for you. And so I pray as you, as you walk in marriage and uh, over the next few weeks as we think about uh, different aspects of marriage that we would continually keep in our minds that the ultimate purpose of marriage is to point to the great marriage that will happen at the end of all things. The church will be reunited with Christ. And so I pray that every action we take in marriage points to that moment. I love my wife. She's beautiful. And she points me to this moment. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that I point her to this moment. Whether we have the opportunity to, uh, to be married for, for just 20 more years or for 60 more years, whatever the Lord has in store for us, I pray that every one of those moments, we point to this moment when we will be with our Creator again. Would you pray with me? God, I give thanks to you for all that you've given us. I thank you for my wife. God, I thank you for, for marriages of people that are here today. God, people who have been faithfully married for many years, who've walked through great difficulty, who've seen great joy. And God, I pray that you would help us to remember that, uh, that marriage is just a pointer to the opportunity uh, to be reunited with you. And that you, you, div, you give us great gifts in marriage, God. Great, uh, great opportunities to look forward to the ultimate gift of being with you. I pray, God, that, that husbands would be faithful in leading their wives. I pray that wives would be faithful in being helpers to their husbands. And God, sometimes it's, it's easy for us to think of specific things we want our spouse to do. God, I pray that you would continually put on our, heart, our hearts what you're calling us to do, uh, what I as a husband am called to do, to love my wife. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.